This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Welcome to the show this week. We have Artem Corian on the show. He's the Chief Product Officer at Assembly AI, a longtime product manager, CEO, founder, you know, shapeshifter. Everything else, he's joining us today to talk a little bit about some of the fun things he's doing. He's has been doing for a long time with AI and then some things recently with assembly. And then we're going to tie that into, you know, the role of a chief product officer, all sorts of fun stuff. But welcome to the show, Artem. Thank you, Kevin. Awesome to be here. You're in Amsterdam. Is that right? That is correct. I was actually just in New York for a couple of weeks and I just flew back um, oh, about man. a week ago. And, and you're fasting as well? Yeah, I got to do, you know, the, the one holy day of the year for the Jewish faith and I'm I'm not a very yeah. religious person. So that one day I figure I'm going to, you know, that's where I'm yeah. going to put in the effort. You know, I actually don't know a, a lot about Yom, Yom Kippur, right? Is that the, how to how to pronounce it? Can you tell us a little bit about yes. that? I'm just curious about it. It's actually a really spiritual, introspective holiday. So it's it's considered the holiest day of the year. And it's, the, it's a day for atonement. And the legend goes, and I'm not well versed in the legend, but the legend is that there's this book of life that, you know, this is where the, the kind of the book closes. So sort of like the, the soul accounting for the year, this is where the, the end of the year happens. And so you're supposed to atone for anyone you might have done wrong, any mistakes you've made, reflect on the past year, and really focus on the internal. And for that reason, during this day, you're not from sundown to sundown. You're not supposed to eat or drink water. And it's really kind of this day of, oh, wow. of introspection. Um, yeah. I think that's good old fashion, fashion retrospective familiar <laughs> love it that's, that's good there's there's <laughs> overlap with, there. yeah overlap sure. with scrum for sure. oh man well i'm sure i butchered your introduction but why don't you give us a elevator pitch on yourself or our listeners so you know my background yeah, as you mentioned in the intro it's it's a mix of technology management management consulting some founder experience and a lot of product experience mixed therein. And in 2019, I got together with my now co-founder, Gil McLeff, when we've known each other for a long time, back from the management consulting industry. And we thought, you know, there's so much technology facilitating communication in the workspace, in the workplace, and facilitating the ability to conduct meetings. So there was Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams coming up. But once you're in the meeting, there's really no technology or was no technology at the time that could do something with all of the exchanges and ideas that were happening during during the call. And that's where the idea for Assembly was born. Being out of the management consulting background, meetings are what drives the entire project. It's just meeting to meeting to meeting. And so there's so much value, uh, we felt, in technology being able to participate in the meeting and then do something productive after, uh, afterwards. So we kicked off Assembly. Uh, what Assembly is, is an AI teammate, sometimes also known as an AI meeting assistant. It works very similar to a teammate on your team, like a regular person. You can invite it to a meeting you're having, Microsoft Teams, Zoom, Google Meet. It will show up like a person would. It will say hello. And then it just hangs out. So it's not a very active participant and it's not a very active teammate. And it listens through the meeting to the conversation. It's recorded. It's transcribed. It's diarized. 
And then it's analyzed for a lot of different insights. So one of the things we provide is meeting notes. We like to say the best in the industry. We have human grade task identification for meetings. Extremely useful, especially when combined with some of our automation that shows up right in your to-do app, for example, or your task management app directly from the meeting. It's really phenomenal. We also show some key items like risks, issues, requirements, and we have the assembly and chatbot where you can talk to it about your meeting. You can ask a question or you can ask it to generate something. So let's say you just had a meeting with a potential customer. You can ask Semblian to outline the statement of work for you, let's say, for that customer based on the information you, you went over in the meeting. And so it really opens up this vast range of productivity and facilitation possibilities that weren't possible before. Yeah, I love this era of productivity tools. It's been amazing to see how much innovation has come of this kind of focus on productivity tools. And it sounds like y'all are doing some great stuff. Tell me more about your product-specific background. So in some sense, I was a product manager without being called one for a very long time. I think, you know, when I was just starting out in, in industry and we were working on new on-screen trading technologies, there was a lot of element of managing product. And in fact, the, the role of product manager didn't really exist. There were these project managers and, and people were kind of stretching them. There were project managers and business analysts. And so... This idea of a product manager was kind of just, just growing up. And so I did elements of product management all along the way. And then while I was in management consulting, we happened to kick off a project, which ultimately became its own company called UMT360, but I was the incepting product manager on that. And I think that was probably my first concentrated product experience where we actually developed a full-on standalone product generally to be used in large-scale consulting mm. engagements, but also did a lot of things on its own, quote-unquote, out of the box. And I would say that, you know, there's a lot of product work that happens in consulting and in the turn on large companies. The difference being that products that you make on the outside, they have to be able to click into every environment, whereas a product that you do for a large consultancy only needs to click into that, that specific mm. environment, right? Taking into account all the enterprise stuff they do. Then I had a short stint. I was I kicked off a company called Nusana. And what we were trying to do there was to create AI to automatically recognize cancer and biopsy. And so at that point, biopsies were a completely manual thing. A, a human needed to look in the microscope, figure out what's going on. The level of concordance was very low, meaning two pathologists wouldn't agree. And I teamed up with a with a pathologist to to develop that system. You know, failed grandiosely because we were way too early on the curve. Wait, this was 2010, right? So this is, you know, early, early, early. But, you know, the, the one thing that we got right at the time was convolutional neural networks, which became the effectively go-to technology for image recognition a few years down the line. So, so I kind of bobbed and weaved across different kinds of environments, often without being formally classed a mm. product manager, with, you know, maybe with that exception of the UMT360. And, but, but I always had a, a deep te technical side as well. That's really my background. And so that has helped me in a lot of ways. And in being in product is also to have that understanding of what is the technical depth of what I'm Yeah. Doing. You've been exposed to various aspects of product, of management, of entrepreneurship. And now you're at Assembly. You've been there for over four years. And now you're the chief product officer. Are you at the product market fit? scale phase or are you more at a zero to one or like where in the curve are you in terms of your product line? I thought it took us much, much longer than it, than it should. But then I actually saw a chart recently that suggested otherwise. Basically, it took us maybe three, four years to figure out product market fit. I guess three years, right? Four years has been, been past year. So about three years, um, which I thought was too long. But we, we clicked in and we clicked in, I would say, roughly around middle of last year or let's say the second half into last year, just before the mm. Chad GPT craze, actually, which is curious. To get to that right place, we had to noodle around for over three years. <laughs> so that was three years of intense noodling sure. of many people yeah. to then, you know, and then it, because in retrospect, right, it looks so like, so perfect. Well, that's uh, but, no joke, but, right? I yeah, mean, so having, it was, having to do that for three years, right? The capital, the investment, I mean, that's no joke either, right? And so it is kind of a, a culmination of determination and right timing, it sounds like. Absolutely, absolutely. 
So it was, yeah, it was good, good timing for us. We did figure out a lot of things in this space when it hit. And when we felt it was basically we used to go to companies and we had to really educate a lot on what this is, what this can do, why is this beneficial, why it's not maybe so scary. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's immediate privacy concerns, things like that. And so that was a very uphill battle. There wasn't, you know, the, the awareness and was low, apprehension was high, and the recognition of value was low. And those are factors that were, were, weren't working in our favor. Come middle of last year, those, the, the value proposition and the, the apprehension and awareness that those curves inverted. And like we kind of mm. look at it as this kind of like an X curve, right? Where that the, the value kind of overtook the apprehension and the lack of awareness. And, and suddenly we started to get companies coming to us, asking us for our solution. So, so that happened last year. We've been growing very rapidly since. We have hundreds of organizations, thousands of users, and you know, tens of thousands of registered users, over 60K, I actually think, at this point. Effectively recognizing that it's maybe pretty easy to put a wrapper around GPT with transcription, but it's actually hard to make mm. a product that clicks into teams and organizations in a natural, intuitive way and joins your workflow in a way that just makes sense and it's not annoying. That that bit, yeah. it's, you know, I like thousand little details. Yeah. How big is your product team? Our product team is, we have full, like full-on product managers. There's two of them. They're supported by uh, one analyst. And then some of our leads play more of a product T role than others. And so I would say we have at least one lead who also kind of owns a little bit of area that's you can say is product managing. Got it. Okay, so pretty small still. You're kind of growing here now to catch up, right? You're scaling the employee count with the users, or how are you thinking about that? You scale the employee count with the revenue more so than with the users, and that is more true when you're profitable. And until you're profitable, you're probably scaling more with your capital availability. So, so there's a lot of interesting kind of dampers on your scale. We, we are a product-led organization in many, many ways, meaning that, you know, we, we synthesize inputs across you know, customer, internal, support. We synthesize those inputs. But the product managers are the champions to take things from idea to delivery to the reach and awareness and really own the end-to-end both planning, implementation, and then the experience of the capability and wrap that all together. And so they really take charge and they're very instrumental in determining the direction the product takes and how the things that get done do get done. And that way, it's been kind of one of my priorities to make them taste testers in a way that makes sense to me. So it's, it has been just a lot of polish of what, you know, I when I show them this is good, this is how we want. And this is a miss here. This is a miss here. And kind of bring the product managers to really have the same taste for quality mm. that you do. I think that's very important. And then once they have that, they can kind of taste, okay, like this is the right, you know, like the right, let's say, you know, pedigree wine, right? Like they have to, they have to establish that. And then once they do, they'll know, like they will already know that if I see something and I don't like it, what I'm going to point out, they already know ahead of time. So, so they create the quality of product that I expect. They take it all the way out and they're also very, they apply a lot of force on elements of roadmap that they think are important. Ultimately, I make the, uh, you know, the decision if it's a, some major piece, it's with my co-founder, but on the, you know, they, they're a strong voice into what they think, to what direction the product needs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay. So tell me more about that. It sounds like the organizing principle and the operating principle, I would love to maybe drill into that a little bit more, but would you say that the teams are kind of like empowered to make these decisions or kind of like working 
Is it more of like a project orientation where, hey, we have these, you know, specs you guys go and implement? Like what is the what is the level of empowerment, I guess, that you're dealing with within the structure? The empowerment comes from two places. One, each of our product managers owns a set of components. So we've digest we've decomposed our entire environment into components. Everything from the very edge of the user experience, like website and like onboard all the way to the back end, certain mm -hmm. parts of our pipeline. So it's all componentized. Um, there's probably in the order of 30 some odd components in our environment. These components are shuffled out to the product mm -hmm. manager, right, not, right. not randomly shuffled, like dealt out, okay. Very, very intentionally dealt out to the product manager. Right. And so they have, they know which components that they own. This means that those components are their babies. So the health and wellness of those components belongs to the product manager. This means that not only do they need to understand the goods, the bads, and the uglies of those components, not only do they have to understand kind of where the component is going to be near term, midterm, long term, they also have to understand outside what's happening. Is there, you know, is there some element of competition that's impacting their component? Is there a new technology that's impacting their component? And so both the internal and external, the product managers own in this componentized framework. That's the area of responsibilities. How they actually implement to influence those components is through work streams. So we're not project oriented, we have work streams. And essentially you would get together and we scope. So we have like a, like a two, roughly two month scope of user facing developments that are gonna happen. That's something we come up with and we usually refresh that at, at the end of every major split sprint. Okay. So that's like, for us, it's four to six weeks. But then below that, we also identify work streams. So I work with the product managers to go through and identify, okay, here are the work streams that are going on. Some of the work streams they'll come up with, some of the work streams I'll come up with and some of the work streams I'll come up with and they'll, you know, they'll knock me down and that is okay. And some of the workshops they come up with and I'll knock those down and that's okay too. So I try very hard to listen and understand when, when they come up with something because they're the guys who have the ears to the ground. They know, you know, they know the, they know what, where the complexity is. Same for my team leads on the technical side. You know, when my team lead has a particular thing, I'll listen to it. I also tend to get into the depth of, of things. So if they have a, you know, if there's something, I'll dive in with them. Yeah, that's interesting. As you're building your team, as you're building your company and your product, imagining 10xing, you know, the capacity of what you're doing today, it's not as feasible to get into weeds on the daily basis, right? You get sure. to that point where you kind of have to treat things a little bit differently, I guess. Have you thought more about like, what would that world look like within your organization as you, as you do this? Yeah, you know, I think as... This idea of taste of the PMs is very important, meaning that once they develop the kind of vision that I have for these components that they're, that they're managing, they start to operate very independently. And so like the things I get in detail on are the things that either we have a difference of opinion or, you know, you know it turns out we can't do it mm. for a very long time, or there's some kind of a conflict in the roadmap itself. Because, you know, things drop from, things drop in from the air. We have partners, major accounts, and they'll come up with something. And sometimes those things need to force in a roadmap that, that wasn't there before. Ah, got it. Okay. Now, how, how is the strategic process look like for assembly in terms of company strategy down to product strategy? Like, how is that whole treated today? That's been probably the most difficult part of our journey for the past year, especially in the past year. Okay. Because in the last year, the industry went, you know, it completely transformed. You know, ChatGPT comes on, all of these new providers come on, a lot of things that were difficult to do before, including speech recognition, uh, a lot of different companies got good at. And so we had to continuously revisit and check in on our strategy and kind of continuously feel kind of which way the user base was, was going, what features were being valued, and why, for what value our customers were choosing us. And kind of try, and also, so listen to the explicit nodes, but also listen to the implicit nodes. And, and, and think hard about, okay, what's with this technology, 
you know, what is the what is the correct next direction to take? Because, you know, everybody came out with LLMs. Okay, should we make an LLM? Like, does that make any sense? Like, what are, you know, what's the problem that we're going to solve? And so it's actually been a very turbulent year from a, from a strategy standpoint because we had to con continuously evolve. Ooh. I would say like every three months or so, we would have like more tough conversations about the direction and things like that. I think there's a few principles that we've stuck to through all of this, um, which, and then that helped to somewhat box in where the strategy can live. Uh, those principles for us were that uh, we are serving teams for productive work value. So we're not, you know, we're not an individual app. We're not like a personal app and we're not like a sales facilitation app. We're looking to increase team productivity in any way that we can and in ways that we understand. Very importantly, we focus on the work that needs to be done as a result of the meeting you've had or, mm -hmm. you know, follow the meeting that you've had. That's an important area that we want to influence. And that's where our product is focused. So, and meeting notes is a very natural part of that, obviously, but, you know, there's more with tests and et cetera. So that, that helped to box us a little bit. And then, of course, also, you know, our orientation towards the larger companies and also kind of companies that are serious about getting their work done. So that helped us box in a little bit. Now, that wasn't perfect because that still leaves a massive, a massive cloud of, of potential customers, but that was... That was the that was that was the box that we were working in, and then I guess strategy you you do your best to create like you know multi year view, and then that multi year view every few months is subject to a deep review. Got it. yeah, that that makes sense. So it sounds like if I were to to restate what you said there, more recently it's been turbulent because of the evolution of this year, the the innovation in the industry, and kind of the pivot points and opportunities. But there has been some resilient focuses around a customer archetypes being productive teams, right? So now you're, you're saying you're making deliberate choices. And those things are a little bit more resilient to innovative shifts in the landscape. But then within that, then there's like this depth that you said, tiering of customers or maybe the stage of a customer growth of like teams that are scaling or something where there's maybe a, a more of a focus as well. You said serious about productivity is, is kind of clear too. So it sounds like you have a really clear understanding of the customer and pro profile that you're going after. And then it seems like the thing that's maybe not as resilient or as capable as the strategy itself to say, what are we doing for that team that shifts based on the new innovations that are coming or every three months you're saying, right? Exactly. And I think it's it's more uh, tenuous in the long term because in the short term, the the new, L the like the, the modern day LLMs, they make certain obvious Im important things possible. And this year, us and pretty much all the leading competitors in our space, there's maybe three mm -hmm. to five, they all are doing the same stuff because these are like those things that, wow, now that I have this, like this is like a no brainer thing to do. They're all doing those things. And we are too, because why, you know, why wouldn't we? So in some sense, this first year has been kind of easy from us, like in a sense, it's been easy from a strategic standpoint. Because there's only certain things that are really valuable. Like, for example, the AI chatbot that right. uses your meeting information to chat with. Like, I mean, that's, you know, that's like such a duh, like thing to put in. And of course, like we put it in and most of our close competitors put it in as well. I think what is curious is what happens next. What happens next year? How do you think about like evolving this thing that's, yeah, so turbulent? Is it getting more clear and concrete or you feel like you have a good plan or path forward as the next step? It's definitely getting more clear. But, you know, my, my clarity is based on certain beliefs that I have around the technology that came in. And I don't know who, who else shares those beliefs. My, my ideas are as follows that, you know, I like to think of the new AI tech, the new LLMs that are on the market today as a new kind of a material. You know, some say it's crude oil, some say it's something else, but it's a new kind of a material. And so, whereas like before we could only build planes with like steel and wood, I don't know, do you build planes with, let's say plastic. In the, you know, carbon fiber comes uh, on the scene and suddenly you can build new kinds of airplanes, new forms new distances, new fuel efficiencies, and so on. And I think AI is very much similar in that, you know, there's, there are these massively intelligent systems that you can interact with now, and they generally do a really good job across the board. 
there are very narrow cases that I can imagine where you have to build a, a dedicated LLM where you can't, couldn't use like some variant of GPT-4 and keep in mind GPT-5 and 6 are in the way. And so to me, I don't see the goal being kind of inventing the next LLM. I think that ship has sailed. It's almost like trying to invent the next browser. Okay, there's Netscape and Internet Explorer. We all know what happened with Netscape and then Firefox. And of course, Chrome, yeah. But like a handful, right? We're not 20 or 30 or 100 browsers, right? Like three. So I think this is a very similar game. I think that, you know, in that sense, the, the major LLMs are already very good and a couple are good enough for prime time. And that doesn't make sense to work in LLM. So what, what's next? What next is the technology that's going to win, and this is my opinion, is going to be the technology that does the best job of exploiting this new material into actual tangible experiences for users. And so it's the application of LLM technology in ways that accomplish outsized results. There's, you know, there are everything from very clever kind of prompting, but I think more realistically or more predictably, maybe like think or how to shit things that I think are more likely to, to happen or directions that companies are more likely to take okay. to be successful next year are around autonomous agents. So these are kind of, you can always think of as them as programs. So if the LLM mm. is the matrix, the autonomous agent is Smith, right? Like it can navigate the matrix and be goal oriented and, and accomplish things across these LLMs. And very similar, eerily similar to the matrix, it can invoke other agents to interact. And I think that idea, so as the LLMs are getting better, more powerful, the agents that mine them for utility on the user end are gonna get smarter and more effective. We're going to be focusing on that layer, the above LLM layer of effectively mining and applying the LLM material to generate magical results for our users. So it's almost like machines stocking other machines to different companies, to different use cases to get a job done essentially for the user. Okay. And now are you going to keep the focus on productive teams in this sense? And like, how would that autonomous agent fit into helping teams be more productive? Or are you shifting the strategy to be more individual consumer? focused is in terms of a target audience. Yeah, I, I think we're we're getting deeper into organizations and and we'll you know we'll always have an offer for our individual users and we love our individual users and they're getting a lot of great value out of assembly. But I think a lot of the kind of co complex innovation is going to come on the on the team and organization side. And you know, that there's another concept that comes into play here, and this is my idea of a, of a living enterprise. You know, a few years ago, we called this concept enterprise awareness. And the way I like to explain it is as, as follows. You know, today, enterprises are as alive as a rock. What do I mean? You know, to strategic for an enterprise, and by enterprise, I just mean any large company. I don't mean like necessarily like Coca-Cola, like really an, any large company. For a large company to be responsive to strategic motions around it, Large companies meaning in the thousands of employees. It's it's a it's companies that are disciplined enough to do this. It's an annual exercise. If they're really really good, like an exception, it's a half a year exercise. And that exercise is long, painful, manual. It takes lots of consultants, both internal or external or both, millions of dollars, a lot of technology, PMO, organization reporting, project management, enterprise project manager. All of that has to come together for an enterprise to understand what's going on with it, then do something called strategic portfolio assessment and strategic portfolio alignment, where they reshape all their priorities across their project sets. And then they give the go-ahead and funding to execute on those projects in the next half a year or a year. It's like if you were to hit a rock and a year later it says, ow, like that's how alive these enterprises are today. Enter AI. You have AI, you know, with, with, platforms like ours that attends with teams. AI knows what every team everywhere is doing. We already know what uh, the team's tasks are. We actually were demoing a prototype to some of our key partners where we can already digest teams' task activities into organized work streams where we, the AI figures out what the work streams are it figures out a description of the work stream. It can tie tasks to those work streams. 
And then they can say how those work streams influence main strategies. We already have that in prototype. And in the future, as a company builds more and more AI into its external facing membranes, these signals are going to become immediate. You're going to have this real time living and breathing thing that knows what's happening inside, knows what's happening outside, knows the mechanics of the company and is able to almost in real time mm -hmm. adjust strategies and direct teams to accomplish the goals of that company. It's, it's you know, it's futuristic. What would be a use case of like how you're plugging into your productive teams today? What you said earlier, the meeting recaps, the to-do list generations, the work steam generations. How does that evolve into this next horizon? Is this is this a natural progression or is this like, does it change the day-to-day -day for these folks? The scary thing is like, oh, does this just run the whole world now? Is this the, is this the thing that is deploying everybody? Like, what is the end goal with that next horizon? And like, what would be an example use case of like a team getting value from that? I'll answer the, the second question yeah. first. I, I don't think we're in any danger with sure. running the world anytime soon. We'll see what happens. But it is, it is intended to support people the same way today's AI tools support people, which is make us as, make us superhuman essentially, right? Like it's the same idea. It's a, it's a system that can elucidate so many complexities and patterns in a huge organization that would otherwise be impossible to do. So from that perspective, I think it's just a superpower that the, C mm. the CEOs and executives will have or management layers will have to guide their, their teams. So that's, that's the second question. On the first question, kind of how does this, you know, how's this progress? How does it work? Well, in a way it's working already. So as far back as a year ago, we started implementing this My Commitments feature that became the My To-Dos and My Tasks feature. That feature is alive and well. So when I, I have a My Tasks uh, screen on, in assembly, where I click it, I can see all of the tasks that I haven't been completed yet that are directly generated from my meetings, right? No humans were involved, well, in the creation of the task. And already that goes to my to-do list. It already influences my behavior. When I go to that page and glance, or when I look at my to-do list and I look at what's at the top, it's already triggering, oh, crap, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, this thing I should have done or like I needed to follow up on. So it's already very, like in a sneaky way, just like as I'm here to remind you if you want to, right? Like in a very kind of nonchalant way, it's already influencing my behavior. Where this is going to go from here is understanding, you know, the how weighty each task is what the goal of each task is, what does these tasks contribute to. It's going to start to understand important. It's going to start to help you to prioritize these tasks. Like if I can only do, like I have this much time left in this today, what are the things I should do? And it will give me here are the four, three things you should do. We're so close to that. We're, we're months away. We're months away from that to be like commercial wide. So that's the, you know, that's going to be the beginning. And eventually it's going to be able to prioritize not individual, but across team. And eventually it knows what the team is trying to accomplish. So it might suggest tasks and eventually it might automatically pre-complete some of those tasks and deliver artifacts that it knows are useful to what your team is trying to accomplish this week. I'm assuming there's some measurement of team productivity that you're measuring for folks that are adopting assembly. What is success like or the value prop that they're measuring as a result of using assembly? A lot of time saved that we measure, both in terms of time spent in meetings, because for example, you can send assembly to attend the meeting instead of, or you can distribute the meeting notes assembly generates to everyone that needs to see them. So the, so over time, what you should expect is to have less time across your org in meetings while having a higher degree of collaboration. So that's one thing that we're looking at. We're also looking at lower number of attendees per meeting on average. So you would expect attendees to go down over time as well, because you don't need 20 people in that meeting. Sure. If somebody wants to know what happened, they can be shared the meeting notes post, or they sure. can be shared the whole meeting post. You don't need to, there's no this FOMO, I have to be in this meeting or I have to be a meeting tourist, or I have to just show face. Like none of that is necessary anymore. If you don't, if you're not an active contributor, if you don't have a question to ask, why waste your time? Go do whatever else you want to do. And, and then you'll review meeting notes in like two minutes. The meeting notes are fantastic. 
and that's it. And there's no problem. You can even, you know, you can even listen back on the meeting if you want. So average number of participants also uh, should go down. There are some metrics that are hard for us to measure because they are generative, not cost saving. They're like, like essentially like productivity creating, which is things like, you know, what's, how often is it that when you look at a task list, you recognize a task that you kind of left out of your mind. Or if you had a question and like you weren't sure about what happened in a meeting a week ago, you went to assembly and, and you asked it. Or you do what I do a lot, which is, you know, I have this weekly touch base with my lead DevOps. And, you know, it, for whatever reason, like the DevOps stuff just like doesn't stay in my head. Like I, I do a lot of things, but like, when it comes to the DevOps meet, I'm like, don't remember what the, the t things we're doing. I would, I just, all I got to do beginning of the meeting, I literally, I promise you, I literally do this at the beginning of the DevOps meet. I go to assembly and I ask assembly and like, what should, what should be the agenda for the next meeting from the previous meeting? And it just tells me all the things we're supposed to cover. And I'm like, yep, we're on. And I'm like, okay, like, here we go. Point by point. So how do you measure that? How do you measure that value? It's very hard. So, you know, we're, we just look at traction in some of the areas of our product and like how often certain are used, how often certain integrations are used. That's another mm -hmm. one. Like, how do you track the value of, you know, getting your meeting notes directly in Salesforce or getting your tasks directly in Notion? It's hard to measure. So we just look at how, how often these are used. But yeah, when we go to companies, usually savings, and then there's some generative things that we I want to go back to a comment you said earlier around profile of the PMs and kind of like how this work translates. It's almost like the trust exercise that you're doing over time with the PMs. How do they take this vision of being this generative AI? Well, I don't know how you would word it, but this this productivity AI uh, autonomous agent vision to be very you know more tactical or how are they empowered to solve and get you closer to that? Like what are the steps that they take in order to take that ambiguity, the vision, and turn that into action on their side? Well, I, I guess the first thing is that I, I would never like, you know, assemble my team and be like, our vision is to be sure. the productivity AI, like go and make it. We have that, but yeah. then let's follow by like, here are the main themes for this half a year. And so, for example, we have, so we're in turn a little bit obsessed with the matrix. Maybe that's why the analogies come up. So we have a state of the matrix meeting Love that's it. every month where we discuss yeah. like all the leads are present and we talk about exactly that. We're talking about, um, you know, how it's, it's very future oriented and we primarily talk about, okay, what, what are the main themes for the next month or two? What are the main themes for the next half a year? And then, so themes the are principle. the kind of level of detail okay. that I do get, get in on with them. Yeah. So these are like some of the directions where things. So can you give me an example of one that you've used in the past sure. so we can kind of think of it? One was or... privacy. So we okay. said, okay, one of the, one, the first question, whatever we talk to any organization is like, how are you guys private? How is my data protected? We said, okay, privacy is a theme. So we can't, so privacy is a theme. And then we assembled a small like group of, of people from, from the leads. And then we develop like a few work streams that improve like certain elements of privacy. And so for instance, one of those things that came out is like we developed um, these deployment paradigms in addition to the vanilla SaaS. And so in these deployment paradigms, you can get like kind of light, medium and, and, and heavy, where a heavy is a private cloud. And so we had like, for example, a potential customer is talking to us right now about a uh, private cloud in, in Singapore. Um, so we've productized those offerings. So that was like an example of privacy. Just so I can follow, making sure I'm following. So you're starting with themes. Themes can go either from a half a year, it sounds like down to a month or, or I don't know, it extends past it, but have some sort of focus. And then within privacy, then you get the leads together to, you said, develop work streams. And I'm, I'm not as familiar with that. What does a work stream actually look like? The telltale of a work stream is that it has a landing deliverable that's business impacting and it, and those, and that deliverable could be complex. So it could be like across different teams, different teams need to do things. 
So, but it could actually be very different in scope. So like this private cloud work stream is a kind of a big one. It touches, you know, some teams in a very heavy way. So that's a work stream, but there's also a work stream around, for example, data retention, which also was umbrellaed under the privacy theme, where like, how long does my data stay in your system? Like, can I influence that? Like, is it still in backups? All of that stuff. So that was also a work stream that we kicked off. So work stream, so work stream is not a, like a feature. Mm -hmm. It's mostly like a kind of like a customer capability, let's say. And some of those capabilities are lighter and some are heavier. So like data retention is a customer capability. Like private cloud is a customer capability. Sounds like you're breaking it down into yeah. here are the use cases we're enabling within that time period to address the theme of privacy. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And then you say the workstream has a landing deliverable that is business impacting. How are you measuring the impact then of that deliverable? Like, is that something that is front of focus or is it a post-launch kind of measure as well? Whenever we can, we're not that good at this yet, but whenever we can, we try to bake in like success metrics sure. around the thing that we're driving. In some cases, they're kind of like obvious and sort of self-included. Like for example, the metric for private cloud will be, is there a customer that elects to buy a private cloud? If we're getting like significant revenue and private cloud is a big deal for us. So like even if one or two sign up, like that's, you know, that already bodes really well. So, so some are baked in like that. And then with other, with other elements, it could be like, how often does this piece of the application get used? Uh, in a lot of them, we have particular customers that specifically asked and they're like important large customers for us. And when mm. they ask, we listen. So some. You know, capabilities that we develop are, you know, for, to address spe those specific customer needs, but we know that those needs are shared across our customers. Okay. Got so it's highlighting a particular need and then you're, it sounds like, are you building it for them and then, or are you building it to be widely adopted, but to solve their use case or like, is there a level of requirements that they have, you know, you're committing to, or is this more of just to call it the connection, I guess? Yeah, no, it's never, it's always something that will benefit our entire user okay. base, but it just happens to be a pain that one of yeah. our major it's clients calls yeah, out. Got it. And we're like, and we're like, I mean, we're like, yes, <laughs> we're like, yes, we know, we understand. This means also all of our customers are experiencing okay. the same, but you know, this customer at this time helps us to prioritize it higher got it. and kind of focus more on that one. Gotcha. And then you're measuring adoption after that or feature usage or some sort of measurement yeah. um, as a, as a result. Okay. It sounds like it's a little bit reactive. Is that, is that a mix of, you know, the reactivity with the customers or is this a mix of proactive and reactive? Like how are you thinking strategically in the long term for your products? Do you ever marry the two or is it like always one or the other? Today it's pretty mixed. It's probably halfsy halfsy. When we just started, it was all proactive. And the reason is that there's kind of a like a little like an overlooked aspect of a product which is uh innovationness <laughs> the, the innovativeness or you know of 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 that product how innovative a product is influences a lot how it develop like what its strategy is to develop in in the first few years maybe as it becomes ubiquitous it changes but uh, the example I love to give is that, you know, before there was an iPhone, you, you could do all the interviews you want, but nobody's going to tell you, you know what I need? I need this iPhone in my life so I can spend like six hours a day scrolling through TikToks. Like, this is what I want. This is what I wish I had. Not a single person on earth would have had that answer. But yet we look today, what is, you know, what is iPhone and what is being used? It's used exactly for that. It's used for you know, TikToks and, you know, often, right? Not everyone, of course, but often. It's, 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 it's that Instagram, TikToks and so on. And so because it was such a disruptive product, it had to follow a different path of, of planning its initial roadmap and planning its, its launch. There had to be a lot of proactive and visionary steps taken, and then maybe taking a step back in to see what worked and what didn't, and then kind of take the next leap, right? So it's, it was like a leap, look around, leap. And then as the product becomes more ubiquitous, maybe those leaps get shorter and maybe those looks around get longer because now there's like a community and there's like a pattern of use and things like that. I think with, with a lot of kind of 
product management, like, you know, like Bible stuff that I hear, which is like, you know, you have to talk to users. You have to, yes, of yes, of course, but only after there is some understanding in the environment of what your product is. It would be very hard to talk to users about potential chat GPT. It would be very tough to talk to users mm -hmm. about potential assembly back in the day. Today, it's starting to shift. And as it's starting to shift, we get to benefit from that kind of mix of some things our customers are telling us, hey guys, like this is something that would be really cool. And then some things we still drive. I wanted to get your thoughts on chat GPT in particular, open AI. In ad tech, uh, which is where I'm, I'm from as well, we've been using machine learning, AI, all sorts of things before this for years. And I'm sure you have as well. And so like, why did they in particular, what is your opinion why they decided to take off? Was it just a tipping point? Was it right time, right place? Like in, in particular, how do you how do you make sense of it? I think I have an idea of why it was them who were the ones to take off. And and I think, again, my my opinion here, but I think they re they breached the critical barrier of quality, at which point it became it, it became actually usable. Now, we had a lot of AI before large LLMs, and they were giving, okay, sometimes okay results and sometimes good results, but never like reproducibly amazing results, whatever humans would consider reproducibly amazing. And I think ChatGPT got the LLM to a level that it, it, it produced a quality result often enough and of quality enough, and when we mean of quality, it me means that it fills the you know the question being asked. It's context contextually relevant. It's not offensive. It's not hallucinating that often. It's precise enough. It's not too precise. There's a lot of like little parameters. But once it kind of zeroed in on that quality, it's almost like it's mar product market fit in a way, right? It found it found the right quality of LLM response that suddenly was enough and then what that became enough it actually became enough for all of the ai chat use cases and and they kind of like was this inversion moment um so i think that's why you know in that moment it was chat gpt and and why you know some llms are still struggling they're a little behind and some are catching up really quickly now why was it the open ai team that was able to get there first i mean that's you know i think part of the answer of course is a bunch of smart guys Right. They, they have an all-star technical team that's really brilliant. And, and so that's one, two, $700 million from Elon. Yeah. Was it like, what was their yeah. founding capital? Like 700 million, something like that, like hundreds of millions of dollars to start that might've had something to do with it. That's a lot of faith for, for a company that was very explicit about, we have no idea how to, how to use this. Oh. We ever will. So it was this kind of great come, 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 come togethering of good talent with sufficient capital to solve the problem and with a leader who was focused on, like who believed and that this could be done and, and then eventually boom, right. we had, the, we had Chad GPT and, and the rest of this history. Let's talk more about the homework for, for the listeners. So typically we reach, you know, a variety of different types of individuals from aspiring product people to co-founders or, or founders themselves. And so it, it's kind of a wide range of individuals, but all within kind of like the product space. And so what piece of homework would you have them kind of put into practice for the next week as they listen to this? Anything come to mind? I think one really interesting thing that they could do that is now possible is what we were just talking earlier about that's a future. Well, they can individually with a little bit of handiwork do that today. And so one thing they can do is, first of all, of course, of course, get an AI meeting assistant to hang out with you during the just, just do it and you'll understand, like you'll grow and you'll limb effectively by doing it. But that's just step one. Step two is take all those tasks that your AI teammate has generated for you and push them into a place where ChatGPT can talk to them. And there's many, many ways of doing that. You can Zapier it. You can Google worksheets. That there's a lot of ways. Okay. And I think you know that's that is it is a nice exercise as well. Like just you know to to make sure you can do that. And then third, talk to ChatGPT about your 
work for that week? What are the top, what are the five themes that all my tasks can be summarized into? Uh, how am I spending my time? What am I accomplishing based on the tasks that I have in my task set? Um, start to kind of self-reflect on the work that you're doing. And that puts a brand new dimension of a mirror to your work that you've never had available before. And it could open you up and say, holy, why am I getting bogged down in this nonsense? Like we should hire an analyst to do this. And then I can focus on all of these strategic things that I should have been working. For example. There's so many builders out there that are using it in so in such unique ways. But I love this idea of kind of reflecting on where you're spending your time and to almost like reprioritize, getting more aware of your week and then being uh, reprioritizing what really matters. This is great. Well, yeah, I, I similarly will say, you know, it's, it looks like Assembly AI is free to use for individual use cases. Is that right? There's a personal plan that's limited in hours, but you can try that. And that's free, free all month long. There, and then you can have a seven-day free trial of all of our other plans. The professional plan is where the AI really starts. So the, the personal plan will let you kind of just get a transcript of your meetings, but it won't give you any of the insights. The professional plan is higher, starts giving you some of those insights, to-dos, tasks, and so on. Uh, so either professional or team is probably what you want to try just to see how the, you know, how the AI insights work out for you. Experience those AI meeting notes experience assembly and talk to assembly and about your meeting. It's really cool. Like it's a fun, it's just fun actually in the beginning. Right. And then you actually make it useful. Yeah. Love it. We'll add a link in the show notes to assembly AI and, and you can check this out for yourself. Thanks for joining us this week. How can our listeners help you reach out or, you know, if you, if you desire to be reached? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, first of all, www.assembly.ai, S-E-M-B-L-Y.ai is our main website. You can find everything there. If you'd like to reach me, it's Artem Corin on LinkedIn or Acorn on LinkedIn from Assembly AI. Check us out, follow us, try Assembly. It's a turnkey, no downloads, installs required. You just register and you're running away with it. It'll work with your calendar, Outlook, um, or Google. It works with your, um, your existing meeting system. Everything is completely just good to get started. And the best way is, yeah, give it a, give it a try. And, and the best thing is, you know, Love it and give us positive feedback <laughs> if you do. We'd love to hear it, but also give us negative feedback. There's a feedback a button in the tool that lets you report back and let us know what we can improve on. And we, we love to hear that as well, as painful as it's something. Yeah. yeah, perfect. Well, sounds great, Artem. Thanks again for joining us. Looks like we finished up our coffee, so go level up. This has been Product Coffee. Produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover. And who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.